Today on the Business Leaders Breakthrough Podcast, I am joined by Alicia Patel, the Chief People Officer of LionCo. Alicia shares with us her top three leadership insights, which include what she wished she knew earlier in her career around thinking flexibly, her take on being an authentic leader, and why no one told her that being at the top can be very lonely, and how she chose to address that. We also learn a bit about swimming with sharks, why Viktor Frankl would be someone to channel, and why creativity is Alicia's superpower. Alicia, welcome along to the Business Leader Breakthroughs podcast. So delighted to have you on the show today. Thanks, Ryan. Happy to be here. Alrighty, shall we dive into some fast fact questions so our audience can get to know you in a a matter of minutes or at least a little bit about you? Sure, happy to. Okay, here we go. Around uh, food, are you breakfast or dinner kind of girl? Definitely dinner and pasta all all times I can have it. Brilliant, brilliant. And is there pasta on the menu tonight? I don't know, actually. We're going out to dinner with some of the, the leadership team. So if I can have it, I will. I like it. On holiday, you're likely to find you bungee jumping or on the pool lounger? Not bungee jumping, but I did just do swimming with whale sharks up at Ningaloo Reef. So maybe a bit of adventure followed by some pool action. I like it. I like it. And how was that experience swimming with the sharks? Phenomenal. Yeah, scary. I have to say, it took a couple of hours to find them. And on the time on the boat after I'd had a um, a seasickness tablet where I felt a bit woozy, I was thinking, is this really the right thing to be doing? But well worth the adventure. Oh, well done. And would we normally find you in trainers or heels? Both, actually. I'm known for a bit of a shoe collection, but I love my exercise. So I would say both, but yeah, quality over quantity. Okay. Are you rivaling Imelda Marcos at this stage with terms of number of shoes? No, but uh, they are a key purchase of mine. Yeah. (laughs) Like it. it. Good job. Uh, Let's go to animals, cats or dogs? Dog, but unfortunately, because I'm mother of the year, as I keep telling my children, I have a cat and a dog. The cat is a reluctant choice, but uh, yeah, I've got a beautiful golden retriever called June, who's almost two and uh, brings a lot of joy to our house. Brilliant. Look, don't believe that a house is only a home once it's got a dog in it. So, supportive of that one. I agree. And routine-wise, Alicia, are you an early riser or a night owl? Early riser. That one's definitely true. So, I like to go to bed early and, yeah, start the day early. I've always been like that as a child and it's stuck and, you know, although it's pretty hard to get up at the moment, Sydney's not having amazing weather and it's been a super cold winter and I'm really looking forward to spring because it makes it that bit easier to go to a six o'clock class when you'd rather stay in bed. Indeed, I hear you on that one. And entertainment, if you're watching a movie, would it be a thriller or a comedy? Probably rom-com, I would say. (laughs) Nice. Some light-hearted joy? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I think it's good to watch some heavy stuff, but the world needs a bit of lightness, so I'm happy to watch something that takes me away a bit. Right, and is there a particular actor or actress that you like in the rom-coms? No, I'm pretty agnostic, I'd have to say, and yeah, I'm happy to go with with whatever is the sort of latest, I have to say. I'm, I'm not a huge TV or movie watcher. I'm a bit of a book reader and a um, bit of a get out and speak to people and be more social. So if I was going to use my time in front of a screen or in front of a person, I'd always choose the latter. Yeah, I like it. Great job. Hey, thanks for sharing those insights with us. 
Now let's pivot to the leadership insights. And you've got a top three that we're going to discuss today. Could you just give us a summary of those top three leadership insights that have helped shape you and your career, how you've shaped organizations and teams? Sure. The first one is all about thinking more flexibly. I think we know over time as we mature and have the life lessons that we all get, um, highs and lows of life, we begin to look at things with more perspective. And what I would encourage is that we learn the skill of thinking more flexibly earlier on in life. Because once you can do that, it's a bit of a superpower. It can really help you look at situations and see them really as they are, not what you think they are. And so a good way to think about those is that our brain is wired to notice the negative. That's how we've been built over years and um, generations. And then our mind becomes the way we see the world and determines how we think and feel. So if your mind has that automatic negative thoughts or answers, we call them, which we all have, and that, that's why they're called automatic because there's no shame in having them. And if we know they're more negative, then what are you going to do? Are you just going to live with them or are you going to try and reframe them? So some of the thinking traps that you know I mentioned and many of us would know them are like mind reading, personalising, um, black and white thinking, which I'm sure none of us do, comparing ourselves and, and as I said, my favourite, catastrophizing. Um, and, and I think what we know is that if you can think more flexibly and then realistically about life and things that happen, you have more choice. And also you just feel better. You know, you don't feel oppressed by those things. You don't feel overwhelmed by them. You could go, hang on a minute. And so I really learned the art of reframing through all my psych studies. And we have been teaching it at Lyon for the last 15 years, you know, well before this wellness uh, breakthrough that the world's having. And we just learned the skill of reframing, which is, you know, what's the evidence for that? So if you were, Ryan, if you were going to say to me, oh, I'm having a really tough day, it's everything's going bad and I can't get up tomorrow to deal with all this. And so well, what's the evidence? And then you might say, well, actually, I've just had one bad meeting. Okay, well, that doesn't sound like everything's bad. Um, and then the next skill of that is to say, well, how likely is it that that next meeting with that person is going to be bad as well? Or is it just the one meeting? Oh, well, actually, it's not that likely because I've had 10 good meetings with that person. So it was just a one-off. And then if you then say, what's the evidence? How likely? And then when we put it all in perspective, what's the worst that could happen as a result of that one bad meeting? Well, actually, I've probably had 20 good meetings in the last week, so let's put it all in perspective. And then the last one, which is my personal favourite as well, is if all of that is true, if there is a lot of evidence, you know, if you, it is pretty pretty bad, well, what if you just accepted things as they are and focused on what really mattered to you? And in many times in life, you can do all the reframing and it is what it is, but if you can reach that point of acceptance and a bit of surrender, then you can move on in life. And, you know, this is a really simple skill, this reframing, and I love to teach it and I love to talk about it with my kids and friends and um, probably my partner thinks I'm always bringing it into the coaching conversations we have. He's like, what is going on here? Um, but what I love about it is it unlocks the world for you to see it more realistically and it helps you be really kind. And, you know, you can use it in business, you can use it in, in personal life. And it, it is, as I said, something we should be teaching our kids and something we should be teaching all of our leaders. Fantastic. I like that, Alicia. And if you were, you talked earlier about you wish you learned this early on. Yeah. in your life. So if we, you know, when we are talking to our children, how can we start teaching the skill of reframing early on with maybe developing brains? Yeah, well, I think the key thing is 
to talk about that we have thoughts that are automatic and they are negative. So that's the ants. And the first thing is to normalise that, to say, how's your day been? And if they say, oh, okay. And what we don't do as parents sometimes or as people, we don't we don't want to stay in the negative. We sort of go, oh, have you had a good day? Okay, sure, thanks. But if you actually say, oh, actually, that wasn't a good day. I, I didn't get that mark I wanted or someone wasn't nice to me. And then you'd say, well, how did you feel about that? Like what came up for you? Or We've got to spend enough time in those negative thoughts in order to reframe them. We always want to be positive and Pollyanna. And actually, the only way you can learn with your kids and with people you work with is to actually sort of go to those places you don't want to go to and then say, oh, is there a different way to look at that? So the first is have the conversations that go to the highs and lows. And the second is to ask them those questions. Well, what's the evidence for that? You know, what's the likelihood or, you know, put in kids language, do you think that's going to happen tomorrow or was it just a one-off? And then also how awful is that? Like just thinking about, you know, in a week's time, do you think they're going to care? So just asking those questions so they can kind of challenge that thinking. And it is once you learn the questions, um, you'll just be doing it all the time. Absolutely. And I like that reframing. One of the tools I've seen used is the uh, let's futurize this. So how important mm-hmm. is this thing going to be in a month and three months and six months, 12 months, you know, in yeah. five years, how important is this thing's going to be? And very rarely is it, uh, does it hit the important scale when you start moving it out into the future? Definitely, so, definitely. Yeah. And the evidence one is the unlock because because of that black and white thinking or the comparing often the reframing just stops there. It's not, there's not a lot of evidence for that. And then you go, oh, okay. So I'm just sort of making this up or maybe I'm just in the moment after a a tough day. So yeah, just building that narrative in people's minds and just, you know, what I find by being asked, people feel really loved and cared for, right? And then in a work setting, they go, oh, thank God, I'm debriefing with someone. It's been a tough day. So just even the art of the conversation and having the interest in another person makes a difference. And that's where the uh, being in the moment as the person asking that question, we have to be prepared for the response and to answer it, right? So when someone walks in the door, whether it's the office or home, and we go, how was your day? If we're not really interested in being focused and learning from that person exactly what went on, then we're we're in a uh, a bad state to start with, right? So being being genuine and authentic with those questions as as we start. Correct, yeah. Okay. Um, my second one is authenticity is never ending. You know, um, I don't know, lots of people talk about authenticity. There's been a lot of authorship on it. We like to think of it as a definition of true to self and true to others. So I think Rob Goffey talked about no one can look in the mirror and say, I am authentic. So essentially, you can only be authentic based on other people saying, well, you are as you say you are. So the conundrum with that and the paradox is it's been your you spend a bit of time thinking, well, who who am I? Am I true to myself? So you get that right. And that's a never-ending pursuit. And then the true to others is, well, how am I showing up for other people and does that resonate? And that constant oscillation. So I guess my lesson in this, that is to try and get a sense of who you are early and really show up in that level of clarity so that then you can road test that against other people and constantly change yourself. And, and you know, we, we think about that sort of self-analysis as a bit indulgent, you know, but well, I'll get to that, you know, my purpose or how I want to be showing up, my values, you know, it should just, should just be instinctive. But because life's so busy, we don't often spend the time thinking about that. 
Um, and recently I've just been seeing all that work that Ben Crow's been doing and the Mojo app. I don't know if you, the other people listening have been looking at that, but that's pretty amazing. It's a really nice little development that helps you get that self-clarity. So authenticity starts with you, so get that right and spend the time on it and then really stay open to how that feels for other people. And then how do you seek that feedback from others uh, to go, am I being authentic? Because it, it also feels like a question that should only have one answer. So how, yes. do you ha- how do you have that conversation with people to get that feedback on whether you are being true to self and true to others? Yeah, and that's a great question, Ryan, because it takes a lot of courage to do that, right? And so if you say, well, these are my values, here's how I want to be showing up, and you're open, or this is my purpose, how does that feel for you? Am I living that? When am I doing that well? When am I not? And I think just even that humility and transparency is the start of that ability to say, hmm, you might think you're showing up really creatively. For me, that's you being a bit of a loose cannon and I can't really keep up and it's causing me to have a lot of stress, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So how would we use that creativity that you have in a way that's really meaningful for both of us, you know, and then that's a pretty cool conversation. And the use of that word we, super powerful, rather than you yeah. should, you know, how, yeah. how would that work for us or how would we go about doing that? So so useful in those kind of conversations that you're having. Yeah, yeah. And I think if you're not clear about who you are, it's pretty hard to get that follow followership from others and then equally to be there for them in terms of their own you know, authenticity as well. And Alicia, I find values are super easy when they're not being tested. So mm-hmm. you can, you know, go through and go, yeah, I'm I'm this and I'm that, and this is what's really important to me. We really only find out whether we can stand true to our values when we're tested on them. Do you have an yeah. example of where you feel like your values have been tested and you've been forced to stay aligned with your values or not? Yeah, look, I think one of the things we find all the time in business is, you know, how to do the right thing just because it's the right thing. So we had a situation with COVID where we could have, like many other organisations, and no shame to those that did take the JobKeeper package. And myself and my colleagues had a really good discussion and I was leading the crisis team on behalf of Lion at that point and really strongly encouraged us to not take that funding. You know, I think for me, one of our values and behaviours at Lion is um, fairness for all. And I also have fairness as a personal value. And for me, the spirit of intent of that economic package was to give jobs to people whom couldn't support that through small business or self-employment. And on a basis of that, a big corporate shouldn't be taking government handouts. We were still going to make money. Uh, It was not going to be anywhere near what we were thinking. And we certainly didn't get the uh, tailwinds that people might have thought our industry got. We were not the toilet paper of the pandemic. But for me, it was a really ethical decision, but a really common sense one. So I always just come back to what's the right thing to do because it's the right thing. And then, of course, you know, the value I have in working for an organisation like Lion is to have those conversations with people and give it some reflection. And was that discussion contentious with the exec team? Uh, I'm mass generalising here, but we might propose that a uh, CFO might be going, hey, I've also got shareholders I need to look after. We've committed to delivering certain outcomes to them. Actually, taking on the job seeker benefit would be really helpful. And I'm not looking for you to you know, share confidential information, what happened at the exec table, but was it contentious? Did, did that require a lot of discussion with the exec team? I think like any good executive team, if you put forward a compelling case, then they'll take that on 
on seriously and that's what it was which was for us the community expectations and us being held in the highest regard were a greater value for us than that of the shareholder. That meant, however, that we had to find savings and funding and creativity in other ways. So asking some of our people to use annual leave, changing shift patterns. So there was still a financial requirement for us to show up, but we got creative and we considered other alternatives. And that was where the conversation went to, not is this the right thing to do for us just financially? Great example. And thanks for sharing that with Alicia. Very uh, evident of not only the personal value, but then the value of the values that sit with Lion as well. So I can uh, I can see why you're working with Lion. Yeah, thank you. Great job. And take us to your third leadership insight. Well, I think it's one that many people relate to. It's, it's lonely. And because of that, you have to get a really good and clear support network. And that could be a more formal arrangement, such as a coach, or it could be some trusted advisors, you know, the people who use sort of unreasonable friends. And really great that you can build that network when you don't need help. You know, I think a lot of people call you up when something's not great. But I think building those conversations on things that matter to all of you and then when you do have back to the wall and you are looking for that support, you can call them and have a really independent point of view, someone who you know will trust you and you can trust them, but they they may not always give you everything you want to hear. And I think just also uh, lend a hand in terms of moral support if you are dealing with a lot of things. Um, and so I just say there's no shame in having that network that you have to constantly build it and, um, and do so as early as possible in your career. And Alicia, do you feel like building that network for you, has that been quite intentional that you've gone, I need this, I'm going to actively seek out those people? Or has it been a little more, uh, maybe not accidental, but it's been people you've connected with through your career and maybe outside of, of work that you've gone, hey, this person would be great and we're building a relationship anyway, and now you've been able to utilise them in that role? Yeah, look, it's been deliberate at times and accidental at others. So when I was at Citigroup, we uh, had a really good mentoring partnership with Wendy McCarthy and her organisation at the time. And I, at that point, was fairly early on in my career and I thought, oh, this is really fascinating. Like, how will I need this? Will I need it? And it was my first experience of the value of it. And then since then, I've done it um, more deliberately. But it's also one of those things, Ryan, that I think we say, well, I'll get to that. I'll put that in my diary when I can. And, you know, I'm a working mum and, you know, have a lot um, going on, you know, at, at work and home and personally. And I sort of always put those things down at the bottom of the list. And so, again, you know, when I think about what gives me the most learning, what gives me the most perspective, it is making sure I prioritise those conversations and time. Because also, what we do is we build our system and our thinking and, and when we talk to others outside our industries or outside our worlds, it challenges those deeply held positions we have and that's the way we grow. So investing in your development through those networks, you know, that would be my lesson is do that earlier and do it more often. And do you find those people that you've built relationship with, does it tend to be a two-way street? They're using you in that advisor capacity or coach capacity when they're having challenge or issue or want someone as a sounding board? Or so is it a two-way or are some of your advisors that like, I actually have a dedicated coach and I pay them to, to be there for me? So some are two-way. Some are I've had a dedicated coach where I've got a point in my career where I'm thinking I'm at an impasse, I'm wondering what's next. 
um, what's the best strategy for me. And, you know, I'm a real fan of, of coaching and the deliberate nature of it. It's generally defined, you know, you're working on particular things and then that relationship would come to an end. So that I've definitely used. And then I've also got those relationships which are two-way, which are, you know, constantly being um, fueled by both parties having something to offer and learn. Okay. Brilliant. And are you able to share an example where you've been in a place that you've needed to uh, engage that network to give you perspective or thought? Yeah, look, look, I've done a lot of study in my life, probably at times too much. And I was going to go down more of the sort of clinical psych path and wanted to leave corporate life behind. And just because of my passion for, you know, building wellness in in the world and and with people, which is a real passion of mine. And so I had some coaching at that point and I had a, a really fantastic advisor who I worked with for a period of time who really helped give me some perspectives on what do I love, what do I want to be doing. Um, and then that really led me back to sort of more org psych and, and working with the majority of people rather than the minority. One of the things that I really wanted to think about is how I could still live that purpose and and get to share that with as many people as possible. And I think we know that, you know, 90% of the population is focused on wellness and there is definitely a group of people who are more at that below zero and constantly needing support to get to the wellness versus illness. And so I guess in my career and passion for bringing more of the health strategies to everyone in the world. Um, I can still live that, but do it in a different way. And I'm still working out how I can do that. And maybe coming on this podcast today is just another example of me thinking about how I can share what I know and build that um, passion in others. Indeed. And what are you proud of that you've been able to put in place at Lion around that wellness piece? Well, I think we've had an opportunity to do programs around what they call psychological capital, which is hope, optimism, self-efficacy and resilience. So they're the four magic things you can teach people that they can use in the workplace and building really simple but empirically validated tools around those. So the reframing tool I just mentioned is, is optimism. And then we've got a great multiple pathways tool for hope because with hope, it's all about the will and the way and the high hopers have multiple ways. And so for me, I think it's, you know, 15 years ago, building those skills, researching them, bringing them to life. And they're still used now and we call it the Best Me program. And it's um, been experienced by thousands of people in that time and we share it across um, our partners and people we work with wherever we can. And, yeah, that I'm really proud of. Sounds fantastic. Well done. Thank you. Okay. Uh, So just to to recap, uh, top three would be learn to think flexibly and particularly earlier on in your career. If you had had some of those skills earlier, it would have uh, supported you even even better. Uh, Authenticity and that authenticity journey never ends and being true to self and true to others is the the core of authenticity and the lonely aspect which probably uh, no one talks to you about as you're rising through the ranks if we could term it that way to the top maybe people don't tell you how lonely it is so the importance of having a group around you that can support you in that environment yeah that's a good summary thanks okay fab can we explore a couple of other uh, questions uh, before sure. we before we go on? What's your business superpower? Creativity, I think. Yeah, I really like to learn and challenge things, and 
I like the excitement of the new. So, yeah, I'm really curious and probably not that conventional. Okay. I like that. And uh, if you, maybe on that theme of what you would have developed earlier, if you are now looking back out other than thinking flexibly, what advice would you give your you know, 20-year-old self that was embarking on a corporate career? Maybe I wouldn't have done the corporate career. I would have used that creativity a bit more. Uh, study multiple good degrees, I think, rather than just the one. Yeah, look, I think it would be take more risk. Yeah, I think, you know, I have been someone who's done well and been really conscientious and, you know, I think, should I have travelled more? Should I have taken more risks? Should I have moved roles sooner? So I'd say take more risks um, earlier on in your career. Good, good advice. I like it. And uh, if you could be anyone for a day, who who would you be? Would you be an actress in a rom com? Would you be a oh. uh, Would you be a superstar? Would you be political leader, scientist, sports person? Well, I I I'd really want to be an author. I don't know who I'd want to be. Um, in terms of that, but I've always wanted to write. That's been my great passion. So if I could pick someone who was channeling, I don't know, Victor Frankl when he was writing Man's Search for Meaning or, you know, any of the J.D. Salinger and, you know, all those great books that you know and love, if you could be them for a moment in flight writing that book and seeing that creative process, that would be amazing. And um, probably sort of a sense of when who you know who I want to be when I grow up. Um, that's always something I've wanted to do. So, can we expect a book authored by yourself in the in the coming? <laughs> I don't time? know. I'm not sure. I need to give myself a bit of time to do that. Might be under a ghostwriter, Ryan. <laughs> uh, it sounds like you've got uh, plenty of amazing content to uh, put in a book. So we look forward to the title coming out when when you get around to it. Be be great. Thank you. Hey, Alicia, thank you so much for your insights today. I found them really powerful. And uh, as I said in our pre-discussion, the uh, view that you've brought for us around leadership has been really fresh and appreciate you, one, taking the time that you've prepared around that and sharing those insights that have been really, really valuable. Any closing words from you, Alicia, that you'd like to share with our audience before we wrap? No, thanks, Ryan. Just appreciate you doing this. I know that people learn a lot from podcasts and Look forward to hearing all your other podcasts as well and great work that you're doing. So appreciate having me. Thanks, Alicia. It's been an absolute pleasure.